Hey, this is Frank Cayetti, and you're listening to Improv Nerd. So listen and nerd out about improvisation. Jimmy, Jimmy Corain, Jimmy Corain's a nerd. Jimmy Corain's an improv nerd. Jimmy Corain's a nerd. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Corain. Jimmy Corain's a nerd. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Corain's an improv nerd. Jimmy Corain's a nerd. A Hi, everybody. Nerd. This is Jimmy Corain, oh, and this yeah. is another episode of Improv Nerd. And this episode is sponsored by the good people at Hotel Lincoln in Chicago. If you're coming to the Windy City and you're looking for a kitschy boutique hotel that is brand spanking new and is convenient to everything and is also improviser friendly, check out the Hotel Lincoln, the official hotel of Improv Nerd. Our guest today is Frank Cayetti. He was a regular on Mad TV for two seasons. He's one half of the sketch duo Frank and Math, and he's an alumni of the Second City. And I really enjoyed this interview with Frank. We talked to Frank about his relationship with his father growing up. And his father was this uh, guy from the west side of Chicago. He was an Italian guy who moved to Colorado. And... Uh, we both discover that we have something more in common, and that is that our fathers both have a very sketchy side to them. The other thing that I really liked about this interview is Frank talked about, and I'd never heard this before, the decision he had to make, and he regrets it. And he talks about it very honestly and very candidly about going to Mad TV versus Saturday Night Live. And towards the end of this interview... Uh, we talk about Jason Sudeikis, and Frank has worked with Jason Sudeikis when he was starting out. And I asked Frank if he would pick the phone up and ask Jason for a part in a movie. I, I can really relate to Frank about asking friends for anything. I mean, I have a really hard time, especially if you've got TV and film credits. And I perceive, which is most of the world, that they're far more successful than me. Two things come up. One is I get really um, uptight around them. And I, there's a lot of fear. Even if I've started out working with them in the past, there's just a lot of fear. And then the second thing is probably resentment and jealousy. But there's just fear, you know, because they're authority and they can do something for me. And I thought even when I started out uh, improv nerd, having to call people to be guests, the terror, the fear, and the shame that would come up to do it. And the first person we asked, and it's, it's really sad, and hopefully we'll have him on again his episode, there was technical difficulties, and, and we never, we, we didn't get the, the, the audio of it. And that was Noah Gregoropoulos, who's a, just a great improviser and a great teacher. And I've known Noah since I started out. And the fear of just calling Noah, hey, Noah, would you do this show with me, really? You know, and, and it was, to me, it was like, I was inconveniencing them. I was a bother. I'm a piece of shit. I'm no good. And then, you know, my courage started to build, and I asked T.J. Jagodowski, and then Dave Pasquese, and then Tim Meadows, and we've had some great people over the years. And I'm going to tell you something. We've asked a lot of people, and we've gotten a lot of no's, and we've also gotten a lot of yeses. And, you know, what I learned from the no's is, and I might have shared this before, either on here or, or on, on a blog, when we went out to Los Angeles, and I was in my therapist's office, and my therapist said, you knew Steve Carell here in Chicago, I, you know, call him. Call him and ask him to be on the show. No, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I called him and I got Charlie Hartzog, who was a guy I also knew here. And they didn't 
you know, he, he couldn't do it for whatever reason. And I was, I, you know, I, may, I, I'm not even sure because I was so afraid I didn't, I didn't really follow up. I go into this vague void, this, this, this black hole, really. And that gave me the courage to ask Andy Richter and then the courage to ask Matt Besser which, and Dan Harmon, which was a great thing. And those interviews would never have come had I not asked uh, about Steve Carell. And I also think about, you know, Dave Koechner and my relationship. I know Dave for a long time. And by the way, he's on the cover of last week's Entertainment Weekly for Anchorman 2. I've asked, I can't tell you how many stuff I've asked Dave. You know, hey, would you, re-, you know, he'd say, hey, Jimmy, would you read a script? I'd read the script and I'd say, Dave, I really like this part. If you're going to do it, I'd love to audition for it. Or recently he got a show. I think it's, I don't know what network it's on, but I said, Dave, I'd love to write for the show. And nothing's come directly from that, from Dave, and that's okay because it's not about getting stuff from Dave. And at the time when nothing comes of it, you know, I feel rejected or I feel like, oh, why did I ask? But the truth of the matter is it usually sets me up to ask for other things. And so I try to remember this, and of course, I am not a good person. I'm better at giving you advice and writing about advice than taking it myself because I forget the advice that that I've either said on this podcast or written in my blog uh, when I just like practice. It's like just practice asking. Uh, my life gets bigger. I think you're really going to love this podcast. Frank was just, it was just so much fun to be with him and uh, just, I loved his honesty. So uh, here it is, the Frank Cayetti episode, episode number 52 of Improv Nerd. for doing this show I really appreciate it because it was like was it like two years ago you were at the Starbucks by Second City you were uh-huh. in town with Rachel and you you, you had your, your baby there at uh-huh. the time and you're like I really love the show I want to do the show yeah and we finally well, it took two about a year and a half to yeah. get to, to make it a reality yeah yeah for me to force me on you you didn't force me you you felt that way yeah okay <laughs> no, I, I really I enjoyed the show. Well, it meant a lot to me that you had listened and it was... It was oh, I love it. Oh, great. I, too, am an improv nerd. Right. <laughs> what makes you an improv nerd? Uh, that I do it, that I've had multiple conversations uh, attempting to intellectualize it, uh-huh. uh, multiple times where I felt the highs and lows of it, mm-hmm. uh, that I kind of feel connected to the universe through improvisation, so mm-hmm. therefore I'm a nerd. <laughs> and you grew up in a household uh, that you described as jovial and yeah. antagonistic. Yes. Your dad was really an Italian guy, right? Yeah, he was a Super real Italian guy. Real Italian. <laughs> I grew up Italian, but we grew up in the suburbs, so we weren't, we didn't identify as much. Well, so did I, but my right. dad was from the west side of Chicago. Which is a known Italian. Uh, yeah, at the time, I feel like now it's probably changed, mm-hmm. and like a lot of those kind of gentrification things have moved people to mm-hmm. different places. But yeah, uh, yeah, he was a real Italian guy. Like, I when I was... Like 13, I moved to Colorado. My folks were divorced, and um, my dad lived there and was working there. He had an opportunity with my uncle in the car business, 
And uh, he was very much the character that Steve Martin plays in My Blue Heaven, mm -hmm. which is like this guy in the witness protection program, but refuses to assimilate. So in Colorado, everyone's like driving Jeeps and wearing parkas, and my dad literally is wearing like a burgundy suit with burgundy matching shoes, driving a Cadillac. <laughs> you guys got arugula? Like literally that conversation <laughs> happened. Were, I, were you embarrassed by that? Of course. Uh -huh. And when what, you're a preteen or teenager, you, you don't want any focus on you, mm -hmm. especially from your parents. And how did you, did you ever discuss that with your dad? Al always. And what did he say? What was, what was? He was, he antagonized me. <laughs> well, what, what, give me an example. Like you'd say, dad, tone it down. And he'd be like, anything. Mm -hmm. Like he, he loved doing this, which is like when we were at the grocery store, He'd be like, I pay, you carry. And they'd like, look at the, the person checking out, like, good one, right? right. And like, <laughs> walk out. He knew it. He, just, he did it to drive me nuts. Was he kind of one of those Italian guys, uh, we all have them in our family, that uh, if you're Italian, I guess, that would, would flirt too? Oh. You know? My cousin once said to me, my father was married three times, uh, he once said to me, my goal in life is to get laid as much as your dad did. Yes. Really? And I was like... Thank you? <laughs> Is that what broke him up? He was cheating? Uh, I think, yeah, there was parts of that. There's a, he's, my, we could talk for hours about my dad. Mm -hmm. He went to, just here's a, just a glimpse into okay. it. He once changed his name and moved to Pittsburgh to run out a statute of limitations in Chicago. <laughs> so there was, this is what I find fascinating. So there was a little criminal in him. Yes. Okay. What kind of stuff did he do? Because, you know, my dad was a white-collar criminal, and he actually went to jail. And so I, I always find this fascinating because it's probably a connection we have. Yeah. Uh, what kind of stuff did he do? You know, I don't... That part of him was very much... He passed away when I was uh, 20 years old. And so that kind of part of him, I didn't learn till later. Mm -hmm. But he, he kind of ran the very stereotypical gamut. Like, he owned a construction company. He worked in shipping at O'Hare. He had restaurants and had his hands. So like, there was like, if, we, if, he, if he worked in like waste management, it was like the Italian trifecta. Right. Like, uh, but he, um, I don't know what he did. I mean, I know that he, he uh, lots of fraud. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, but I don't think he hurt people. Right. But there was a time like, in the, I was a kid playing in the back of a Cadillac. This is like pre, you have to sit down on a chair and have your belt buckled and uh -huh. all that. And like found a gun in the little sleeve behind the passenger. And I was like, what is this? And he's like, I go in some rough neighborhoods. Don't ask me. <laughs> that was it. So it's just like, that's it. That's it. You don't ask. You don't go beyond that. Mm -hmm. He was relatively intimidating, but incredibly loving. And then he dies. Uh, when you're 20, in your 21st birthday, you have to go to the funeral. Yes. What do you remember from that day? Uh, it's the worst day of my life and probably the defining moment of my life. In what way? I think I, I had to grow up. I just, I am who I am because of that. And then you're in college mm -hmm. and you come to Chicago for a visit. Yes. Okay. And at this point, what do you hope to be? Because you're studying acting in Colorado, right? It, I, st I studied rhetoric technically in college. Uh -huh. What is rhetoric? Uh, the study and of the art of persuasion. Okay. Um, it was kind of academic. It was had elements of philosophy and history and modern day rhetoric. Mm -hmm. Like this table is rhetoric is designed with a purpose. Mm -hmm. They made it look this way for multiple reasons. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I, th I, I really like the academia of it. I like philosophy and history. And uh, I added a minor in acting and directing so I could take upper level classes. Mm -hmm. And at some point in college, I knew that's what I wanted to pursue, but I wanted to hold on to my degree. So I got the classes I wanted in acting and directing, but finished with the degree in rhetoric, which is applicable to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so then, and everything. Right. And then, but you come to Chicago, you visit, and you see the second city. Yeah. What changes then? Um, that's what I want to do. So do you remember who you saw on stage? Absolutely. Okay. It was Pinata Full of Bees, John Glazer, Scott Adsit, Rachel Dratz, Jenna Jolovitz, Adam McKay, and Scott Allman. And I think I was 18, mm -hmm. and I said, that's what I want to do. Do you remember a performer when you left? Anybody? A performer from the When you saw the show, did you go? Because like, I remember the first Second City show I saw, I'm like... Oh, uh, it was, um, I, uh, the name will come to me, but I remember going, oh, he was the funniest. Oh, uh, I kept the program, so I knew all of their names. Okay. I keep most every program of any show I go to uh -huh. in some weird act of nostalgia. <laughs> uh, but I, Scott Adsit really resonated with me. I thought he was an incredible actor, very funny improviser and great character work. And I was just like, wow, man, that guy. But everything about that show I loved, like... Uh, I loved how edgy Glazer's material was and, uh -huh. and McKay's and I thought Rachel Dratch was adorable. I, I always find it fascinating that I'm listening to your podcast that uh -huh. she is like known as like the ugly girl. Right. Because in Chicago she was the most adorable. I know. Girl, I know. Right? Yeah. And we talked about that on the podcast yeah. and yeah, it was it was interesting because you're right. It, she and she was a big star too. You know, like I mean all the Chicago press was made a big deal about her and we all looked you know I got to work with her in other groups yeah. but everybody really admired her you know oh she's so great yeah all of them resonated Adsit in particular is one a performer that I aspired to be like because I thought he was not specific in any way I think he was a utility player that was good at every position and then you auditioned for Second City. You, you studied at I.O. Comedy Sports, mm -hmm. Second City. And then you auditioned four or five times to get in the touring company? Four times. Four times. What skills, because you're the, you're the thing I always find fascinating about you is you're a guy who like is always working on them, themselves. You're, you don't rest on your laurels. No. What kind of skills did you need before they would hire you? Like you did the first audition, you didn't get in. What does Frank work on? Everything. I feel like I needed to work on everything. The first audition was probably premature, mm -hmm. but I wanted to experience it. I was probably nowhere near ready. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like when I got to Chicago, I had a lot of energy and enthusiasm, but finding a way to focus that energy, pick moments where that energy and enthusiasm would come, but then also kind of play it closer, uh, become a better actor, and probably become a better writer. Like I feel like the thing that I'm best at right now, like. I'm still a work in progress. Is I feel like my writing is infinitely better now than it was when I was in Chicago writing shows. <laughs> we should tell Second City that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're going to want some. Better. They're going to want some money back. You know, Second City. Um, then you get hired from the touring company. You went uh, on ETC. I, how many shows did you do in ETC? I did two. Two shows. Two reviews. Mm -hmm. And then in 2005, SNL. Mad TV and Sony Pictures are all you're 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 really hot, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then you're flown out to New York to meet with producers. Yeah. Okay, but you've already tested for Mad TV. That's correct. Okay. 
Because I've never heard this before. Neither have I. Okay. What what happened with SNL? Uh, it was I don't know. It it, it was um, a weird situation. I had tested for Mad TV, which. If you don't know what that means, it basically means you audition, but I was under contract with Sony Pictures Television for developing another show. Now, did they give you money for that? Yeah. How much money, can I ask? $15,000. Oh, my. I always think it's like 100 did Oh, you? no, some people get that. Okay. But they were like, let's give this Jamoke from Chicago fifteen grand. Right. And I was like, yeah! <laughs> I, I spent it all on shoes. Is that true? Okay. <laughs> All right, sweet kicks for like eighteen months. So you okay? So you te you tested for Mad TV, which meant uh, then they have the basically it's the television world protecting the opportunity for you to you will not be able to say no to them. Okay, they say yes to you mm -hmm. or no to you, but okay. you can't say they're not going to say we offer you this job and then you say no. So you are before your final audition, you sign your contract so you know what you're going to be making in seven years. So you'd go in there and audition for them and then sign the contract. That's what you have to do to network test. Okay, so then you go to SNL to meet with producers. Well, it was post... I had auditioned for producers and I got a call directly to my cell phone from a woman named Ayala Cohen who's a, who was the talent coordinator at SNL at the time and said, we'd like you to send a tape this is when this is when they had tapes yeah. <laughs> in 2005, uh, and uh, I said just to let you know, this is where I'm at with this process of Mad TV, and they're like, we know, and I was like, how do you? And then the M Lauren Michaels and people came and saw the show at Second City. Uh huh. And were you nervous? Yeah, of okay. course. But it was also the first time, now it's commonplace for them to come here. Right. In 2005 when they came, came, it was the first time Lauren Michaels was seeing a show in Chicago mm -hmm. in seven years. So it's an, it, the whole paradigm has changed in Chicago. Um, so then a couple days later I flew to New York and I met with them. I was there for like four and a half hours. Who'd you meet with? Uh, the producing team and Lauren Michaels and all of those guys. And they were incredibly warm and very nice. Um, what did you do for that four and a half hours? Uh, talked to I was I was like handed off to multiple different people. So it was like a big job interview. Kind of, yeah. Okay. And at some point, it was clear that they were kind of babysitting me, like Amy Poehler and uh, Steve Higgins. Steve Higgins, who was a, it was a head writer, or a he was the in charge of the writing side. Okay. Um, and Andrew Steele, who was a co-head writer with okay. Seth Meyers. Were, we were in a room and they'd ask me questions and then they were just shooting the shit and I was like, I look around like, at this point you guys are just babysitting me, right? Until the big guy's ready. Uh, and um, they were like, yeah. Uh, because I think that that is, I've heard that that's a thing that he does sometimes, like makes you wait. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't mind. I was right. stoked. I was just like, oh my God. Right. I'm about to walk into 30 Rock and say Frank Cayetti for Lauren Michaels, please. <laughs> yeah, I, t I remember ca distinctly calling my cousin, uh, who, this is a running theme, died tragically in 2006 in a car accident in Kenya, uh, and said, because he's, he's, he was like very much of a brother to me, and I said, I'm about to say these words, Frank Cayetti for Lauren Michaels, how cool is that? And he's like, that's unbelievable, knock him dead, and walked in and said that. It was wonderful. Uh, and Lauren Michaels was super cool. Where did you meet with him? In his office? In his office. Okay. And I was there for like 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. and what kind of questions does he ask you? What's your favorite color? <laughs> <laughs> but does he look out the window? If too? you could be an ice cream flavor, friend. 
really weird shit. Like, <laughs> like a train leaves Baltimore. Right. Uh, I met him. I, I met him a couple times, and he it's just he's kind of very aloof and very intimidating. What was um, your experience? Yeah, but I feel like I may have projected that status. Okay. I mean, he was. He said some incredibly complimentary things and was pretty nice. Do you remember a compliment he gave you? Uh, in particular, he said, you remind me of John Belushi, uh-huh. uh, which is like, it couldn't be, there's not a higher compliment, um, in my opinion. Uh, so he was very nice. He also had an awkward conversation with his wife on the phone. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm sorry, I have to take this. He was like, hello. <laughs> no. Well, you should bring a jacket. <laughs> because it gets cold in the theater. I mean, he sounds right. like Droopy Dog. Right. <laughs> you should bring a jacket. <laughs> uh, so he's talking, he's like, there's like this weird conversation, I'm just sitting there. And he's like, we're going to the war, the world's premiere. Like, well, of course you are. Yeah. Of course you are, after this. Uh-huh. This is the biggest day of my life. Right. This is like a normal Tuesday for you. So when you laughed, what did you feel? Like uh, I knew it was hopeless. Are you serious? Yeah. Why? Because I was contractually bound, and so I I, I didn't know it was well, hopeless, but I was I, I had a heart. I had a really deep pit in my stomach. I'm friends with Jason Sudeikis. Uh-huh. And have known him for years, and so I went to dinner with him that night. And the night ended with I hope I get to work with you for the next seven years because that's how long your contract is. And I said, Yeah, that would be really cool. I don't know if this is going to work out, and. A bunch of lawyers looked at it, and it basically came down to my manager calling me and going, it's an ask out. And I'm like, what does that mean? It's like, you have to call Mad TV and say, refuse to work for them before I ever started. And as much as SNL, and I've learned this, it is the biggest career regret I have, there was a reality to the situation at Mad TV, which is the producer at the time was a guy named Dick Basucci, who is a Second City alum, who's from Wheaton, which isn't far from where I'm from. And he is the anti-Lauren Michaels in many ways. Uh, Pretty unassuming, nice guy, and I spent some time with him as well when I was going through that process. And I just kind of thought, it was a lot of pressure, everybody in the community knew. And I I mean, I told two people that I think this was a big mistake, and it was Matt Craig and my wife. Uh, And it just came to a head, and I got a call from Dick, and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I look forward to come working with you. And it ended. But I'm the only person that I know that have met with producers at SNL that never auditioned. So basically what happened with SNL was they said, we can't guarantee you a position because you have a contract. So you can say no to that contract, you'll still have to audition. So I would have to say no to a yes and yes to a maybe. And I thought that's a terrible idea. And then my manager said these words, which I kind of believe, which I totally regret, which is, all I know is you need to be on a TV show this fall. And I was like, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I need to be on a TV show, which was the dumbest thing. I lived in Old Town. I loved my job. I'd only written two shows. I would have loved to do main stage. So the worst case scenario was I just keep doing that job. But you get caught up in it. And I wanted it to end. It was like a two-month thing. Where it was How would you have played pressure. your hand differently now that you have? I would have said no to Mad TV. For sure. Absolutely. And then you're on this show for two years. And this is what I, I, I can't. Because I went back and looked at your stuff. You're on that show for two years. You contribute on that show. You have memorable characters. And then they fire you. They, they don't renew my contract, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dick Blasucci got fired, 
and budgets were cut, and I was not the head writer's favorite. Why weren't you the head writer's favorite? I don't know, because I wrote a lot of stuff by myself. And that, for, for Mad TV, that was not a good thing? Because for know. Saturday Night Live, that would have been a great thing. Sure. I don't know. It was, it was, it was a staff dominated mostly by groundlings, and I was the least senior male cast member the entire time I was there. Um, but they've, they've missed the boat on lots of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, they missed the boat on Simon Helberg. They fired him after four episodes. Andrew Daly. I mean, there's a list of really great people that they've said no to or didn't move forward. Uh, Taryn Killam, who's mm -hmm. now on SNL, was on Mad TV for, I think, a half season or something. So it, it was just a weird... There was something that you had written in your blog that you had said... They wanted you to be more like Artie Lang. They wanted you to be more like Will Sasso, yeah. who are these like big, outrageous, heavy-set fat guys. Yeah, that really isn't your. I can do that, but that's not all you do. Yeah, I thought I was going to get fired after my first season because I basically said I refuse. I refuse to only be that. I'm more than that. Mm -hmm. And I, I got off that point. I was like, I'm getting fired today. <laughs> well, getting back to Rachel, I think that's what happened with her. She got pigeonholed for whatever reason as the so-called, you know, ugly one or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what happens. Do they just continue to write that way? Like, if let's say you had been just the big, fat, you know, schlubby schlub, schlub, would they have just written you like like that? Yeah, yeah. I don't mind being that. I don't. I don't have any. I don't have anything against playing that. But I also want to bring more to it. So I. I don't want to just be like sloppy guy who falls down. Right. Like there's other people who have done that better than I have, and that's not all that I do. So, mm -hmm. uh, I was like, if those parts are written for me, I'll gladly play them. But I don't only want to be that. Do you think your attitude affected being fired? Uh, I was probably more formidable than I should have been. Mm -hmm. I was never a dick, right. but I was honest. Mm -hmm. And I said, I would say things like, I would, I would like to be integrated more into the show because when I do do stuff, they turn out pretty well. <laughs> um, but I understood. I mean, I played my fair share of cops and waiters mm -hmm. and was happy to do that. I guess uh, that would be another thing. I was also coming off of this job, which is at Second City, you write your own material. Nobody really tells you. There's not standards and practices. There's not network. There's not all that stuff. So I was coming from a job that I had an incredible amount of control. And then you, one thing about television is you have none. And especially at Mad TV, which is like, it's a five-headed monster as opposed to Lauren is the top of the mountain at SNL. Mm -hmm. At Mad, it was all kinds of different people. Which I didn't know going. How did you deal with that rejection? Because from how I looked at it, you had a you had a really quick you know you know you did real well here in Chicago. You got on a stage fairly quickly. You mm -hmm. know, um, you, great. I mean, any movie that came into Chicago, you were getting. You got commercials here. Now you get Mad TV, and then after two years, they don't renew your contract. How did you deal with that rejection? Because that'd be the biggest bump in your road so far. Yeah, it was it was hard. It was hard. I think I, I plugged along. I have, I have good representation, and I felt like I, I had faith in them. And the fact is, the first couple of years were terrible. Like, I booked nothing. Nothing. I had great auditions, got really close on many things and big projects, and just didn't happen. And so that'll kind of rattle your cage. But it was all right. I mean, I, I made my way through it. And uh, How did you not get bitter about the business? 
I think it's it's impossible not to. So how do you how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you get over the bitterness? Or I think it comes ebbs and flows for me. But I worry about the things I can control. Hmm. That's it. I can't control that. That's all that I just do what I do. It's incredibly frustrating. That's my least favorite thing about this world, <laughs> is the business. Uh, but yeah. Are you getting better at the business part? You think? Nope. Okay. <laughs> nope. I'm congenial. I like people. I think people like me. Uh, I think that part of my difficulty is I'm not what you. When you when I walk in the room, they want me to be one thing, and I'm not that. And so what I. What do they want you to be? Sh super schlub. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, which I can be, but I'm not just that. I, I basically audition for fat nerds or schlubs. Okay. Which I can be. The other. The, <laughs> do you do you need a fat slug? <laughs> we uh, then the other thing I thought which was really cool is because a lot of Chicago people will resist it, especially someone who has been on a stage at Second City, has been on Mad TV for a couple of years. You go to the UCB in LA and you start taking classes. Yeah. And anybody knows that you got to start somewhere in the beginning of the program. Yeah. How did you decide to do that? Because I wanted to learn. <laughs> I registered. <laughs> but do, do you see what I'm, the point I'm making? There's a lot of people out there that wouldn't do the same thing who had your credentials. Uh, you, I, I think the business constantly humbles you. If you're, not, if you're not willing to humble yourself to say that I have more to learn and learn an approach, then you're doing it wrong. I feel like... I'm not better than anybody else. It is, I feel like I, I paid my dues. I, I didn't get, I got to test out of one-on-one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, since I was a graduate of the I.O. Right. So and the Man TV didn't make, didn't help. Didn't and, and Second City didn't help. But it was, well, yeah. yeah. No, I went to I.O. Yeah. But I think they, they helped. They, I mean, in some ways, I mean, I had a teacher say, why don't you just play ASCAT? Mm -hmm. Which is like their, and There's I was like. like our, their Armando here. Yeah. Or, yeah. In, in and I was I. like, well. Because I want to learn this. And I had studied the Herald, but I hadn't studied their approach. So I was happy to do it. I had really I took it with a, a friend. It was from 3 to 6 on Mondays. We'd have dinner afterwards. It was wonderful. <laughs> the other thing I found was you said you do not watch comedies. You won't watch comedy sitcoms. You won't watch movies. Is, is that changed? I'm familiar with them. What, what, what's, what's your theory about not watching them? I don't want to be in, directly influenced by comedy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want to get mad about the business. Are you a competitive guy? No, but I hate the business part of it. Mm -hmm. So, like, I was I I went to producers and for Modern Family, and the person in the room before me was Eric Stone Street. Okay. So it's like that close for his role. Yeah. Okay. Um, Do you so remember how you would have done the, the part? I dialed back the gayness. He okay. played it gayer than I did. Okay, so you... A little oh, I should have been like, hey, y'all! <laughs> no, I think he's fucking great at that role. Uh, no, I don't, it doesn't make me mad. I think, I don't, I don't know. I don't love it. I would rather watch something, I like sports and news. Right. And like really bad TV. I watch, I, I can watch a marathon of diners, drive-ins, and dives. <laughs> House hunters. House Hunters International, <laughs> Property Brothers, I love that stuff. Now, it doesn't make me mad. I can just turn off my brain. It's great. I still I watch a lot of drama. I, I love. 
I love Game of Thrones. I love uh, Mad Men and other shit. Are you? <laughs> now, I was like this. When uh, Kackner was my roommate and he got Saturday Night Live, I was totally drunk. I threw out the television. I couldn't watch it. Mm. Are you, is there a part of you that's a little like that? Like, yeah. I can't, I, the business is so painful for me, I can't see my friends do well. No. <laughs> that's no. me. I'm just, I'm not, I don't mean to project that onto you. That is no. me. That's incredibly honest of you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I cannot. I, can't, I want to see my friends do well. I actually hope the next step is that one of my friends does really well and they bring me with them. Uh, but like, no, I think I've outgrown the demographic of some of television sketch comedy shows, but I like to check in. Like, I, I, SNL is not for me anymore. So like, I, I'll enjoy parts of it, but I don't, I don't watch it every week. And I mean, I don't know if it's, it's for me. Mm -hmm. So I probably stopped DVRing it three or four years ago and I used to watch it and kind of fast forward through stuff, but um, yeah, I want to be influenced by what I, what I think is constructed in my own brain as opposed to something I see. Is Jason Sudeikis going to throw you something? I mean, he's moved up the, I mean, if anybody he's is really, going to... He's doing well. Yeah, if anyone's going to drop the comedy rope ladder down to somebody, it should be you. Uh, I don't know if Jason, I mean, Jason and I have kind of, is since we've drifted apart, not for any sort of like personal reason, just he's a very busy guy and lives in New York, and mm -hmm. I'm a relatively busy guy. <laughs> and I live in Los Angeles, so I don't get to see him very much. Would you ever ask him for a job? No. Really? No. You'd never pick up the phone and say, look, Jason, I see you got a movie. I, I read, would, would you be willing to audition me for? No. I, I would rather earn everything I get. But why is that not earning it? Because it's asking him for it. But what's wrong with asking? I don't have those balls, I guess. Okay. I mean, I don't either. I get and I, and I get nervous. I don't know about you, but if I I remember Jason when he was he he taught at Second City, mm -hmm. and uh, if I saw him today or if I saw Tina Fey today, I would be so intimidated by them because I put people that have achieved that on a pedestal. Sure. Do you do any of that? Um, I guess like everyone, I sh I'm mystified a little bit by celebrity and how, and you naturally elevate those people because I'm interested in that in some way. But no, I mean I don't. I've met Tina Fey a couple times. She's always been very kind. She was at that. She was at that whole thing rigmarole when I was in. Oh, she was in the Saturday Night Live. Yeah, but that was weird too. Is they asked Tina and Amy to be there as well. Like it was June. They didn't have to be there. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, okay. um, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think I probably elevate them to a certain thing. I mm -hmm. uh, get a little like, I, I'm, I get nervous around celebrities. Like, I don't like to talk to them. What, name one celebrity, then we're going to improvise that you got nervous around. All, any of them. Okay. Unless there's like a natural reason for us to communicate. I can't be like, man, I love your work. <laughs> like, no, I can't do that. All right, so we're going to improvise. We're going to take a suggestion. Can we get a suggestion? Armchair. Armchair. All right. Armchair. So what do you hear when you hear armchair? I think, um, I think like a sitting room, like a room with books. So you go right to location. Yeah. Okay. And then off that, do you come up with a character? Possibly. Okay. I don't want to give away your secrets. But <laughs> um, or do you just go, okay, armchair, sitting room, I'm going to start with that and, and see what happens? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Okay.
just yes I'm sort of I'm deferring to you 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 asked me to come yes I did yes so I, it was just weird that we, we were in silence for a minute or so <laughs> I noticed at dinner you just like to talk 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 so I decided not to talk oh. <laughs> Yeah, I get, I get, uh, uh, your, your home is so beautiful. Thank you, I've worked very hard for this. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm Caroline's boyfriend, she works for you. Yes. And uh, I get a little nervous in groups, yes. so I, I was just telling some stories. Yeah. <laughs> Caroline tells me you're an actor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What kind of stuff, movie or television, I might see you in? Oh, I, I'm, I'm still, I still like, do like theater work. So you're a failure. No, <laughs> no, no. How old are you, Roy? Uh, I'm 31. 31, yes. Yes. You know what I was doing when I was 31? I, uh, uh, Mr. Hennigan, I'm sure you were. No, please call me Richard. Uh, Richard. No, call me Mr. Hennigan. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Richard Hennigan. My father had <laughs> I'm sorry, were you talking to I me? I wanted to say your full name for to Kay. keep an air of formality. Great. Why don't you go ahead and do it? Mr. Richard Hennigan. Great, great. Is that... <laughs> oh, I see you must do Shakespeare, do you? Uh, I just did some Moliere. <laughs> great, that's like a little bow or something? Yeah, uh, yeah I, that's the director. Told what me. is something like a little Moliere? Hey. Uh, well, this one in particular was... Um, uh, it was just like, we did it on Thursday and Friday nights for uh, six weeks. And it was more about gathering the experience. Well, no, what did you, what was, what did you net when you were all done with that? It was, uh, there's probably a lot, when I factor in parking. <laughs> <laughs> probably lost about 60 bucks. <laughs> you lost money on working. Is that what you're telling well, me? Uh, you know, like my dad used to say, Let, why don't you, why don't you, uh, why make a quarter now when you can make a dollar later? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've, I've chosen to give somebody a quarter and hopefully uh, make 75 cents. <laughs> <laughs> kind of Would you like something to drink, Richard? Uh, did I, I call you Richard? Yeah, my, my name is Roy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay. You remind me of a Richard that used to work for me. Oh, I thought that was going to be... He was a janitor. <laughs> a dick custodian, I get it. I'm sorry? I thought you were going to... Nothing. I, 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 don't, I mistrust things that are in bottles that don't have labels on them. <laughs> I feel like anytime you... You have to take the time to pour something into a crystal goblet. <laughs> it means it's probably way more expensive than what I should have. Do you know why you're not a successful actor? Do you? Uh, I'm not looking for an answer. Oh, I'm just throwing it out. It's a rhetorical question. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. Because you're uncomfortable here. Well, I don't, I'm not here to, to live like this in wood and, and books and... You like my daughter, don't you? You guys have been dating now for two and a half years. Yeah, uh, yeah. Are you fucking her? <laughs> 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 
Boy, I'm talking to you. Are you having sex with my daughter? The presumption in the 2010s would be yes. <laughs> but I'm considerately having intercourse in a thoughtful, respectful, and her first mentality. protection. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you had to think of it, didn't you? It didn't come right to you. Well, no, there's a form of... What is your form? Pulling out. <laughs> Roy, do you know how I had her? I had protection. My daughter. I have six of them. All pulling out. <laughs> you must have left some in, Mr. <laughs> Roy. Yes. I'm just taking a pause. <laughs> I don't mind that you do. I think it's fine. Oh, thank you for giving me permission in my own house to take a pause. <laughs> well, no, I think you got uncomfortable with the pause, and then you said yes. For that moment, I feel like I had the power, Mr. Henning. <laughs> You're smart, aren't you? I'm smart? Yes. Uh, I'm rarely characterized that way. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm, I'm not dumb. You, you're, you're clearly smart. Anybody that's this successful is, is, is brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a very wealthy man. When you say that, don't you feel like kind of a Richard? <laughs> I've worked hard for what I got. I know, but anybody that says, I'm a very wealthy man, is like, is what I hear after. No, I don't know what there is. Dissonance. Dissonance? Because I just... Because you just... It's like when somebody goes, I'm not a racist, and then the next thing they say... They say the N-word. I don't know if they immediately say that. I'm just saying, you are a very wealthy man. I hate to mischaracterize you. You're incredibly wealthy. You have all kinds of things that show that. You have a gigantic yard with... Sculptured things that looks like Edward Scissorhands came here and <laughs> did your bushes. And you have an incredible, you have an incredible life and an incredible daughter. And uh, the meal was—I've never had that many courses. Like, even I've, I've been to tapas restaurants. <laughs> it was brilliant. Everything was lovely. Uh, your your home smells like mahogany. Is there a reason you came here today? I was invited. <laughs> no, I mean this little. I know I invited you to come into my my study here, but you have been going out with my daughter for two and a half years now. I'm just concerned that you might be asking me for permission to marry her. Um. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, no. You know how quarterbacks call an audible, like before the snap? Like, I did a pre-snap read, and I felt like this is not the best time. <laughs> so, we're going to run the ball. We're not going to do a play fake, and I'm not going to roll out. Uh, Where are you now on the field? Backed up against my goal line. Um, and I was, I was, I wanted a, a, a good opportunity, but I felt like it was important that we had a rapport before something like that happened. I think we have quite a nice rapport, don't you? I don't know what you're You're brand. drinking my brandy. Hundred year That's old brandy. Brandy is brock. Oh, sorry. I should have And then that's how they do it. Yes. On the Muppets. <laughs> I've never seen that show before. Oh, it's great. I don't need to talk. You remind me of Stabbert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to ask. I love your daughter. Thank you. She's wonderful. She is, it. yes. Um, and uh, I'm probably not equal to her. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, <laughs> I'm probably not good enough for her. Yes. And I'm sure that you have some person lined up. I have a couple. That's better in yes. many ways. But I love her, and she loves me, and um, I'm interested in asking her to marry me. Would you like a friend? <laughs> this is not time to celebrate. I do have people. I mean, it's 2013. What do you mean by that? That seems like that that happened a while ago. <laughs> that stuff, like commonplace. No, it still happens. Yeah, I know, but like, <laughs> do you do you understand how wealth works in this country? Yeah, uh, I understand that capitalism is an economic structure in which you have an opportunity to make as much as you can as long as you can continue to produce it, whatever that could. Yes, serves. you're right. You're right, Roy. It's called the one percent. You are in the one percent. Oh. No, you. Me? No, you're not. You are visiting. <laughs> For a second there, I was really excited. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was, I no, you. no, no, not you. you. Are the one. Yeah, you're visiting. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like where you accent the sentence. <laughs> See, I don't see anything you're offering my daughter. You use the word love, but let me tell you, in the 1%, that is not very valuable. I, I disagree. Uh, it's the only thing that I have. It's the only thing that I can give her. Maybe to you it doesn't mean much. I don't know how your relationship with your wife is. She seems pretty... Happy. <laughs> 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 I just call them like I see them. And as much as you have, it doesn't seem like you're very happy. I mean, this room is more than anything I've ever bought. This room, the contents of this room, <laughs> is more than anything I've purchased my entire life. But you seem pretty bummed. I lost my father when I was four years old. I don't know if you know what loss is. Yeah, I'm familiar. I 
four years old. And I had to go at four years old and provide for the family. <laughs> right on. We don't high five in this house. You should think about it. Uh-huh. That was nice. I, you know what I was struggling was, uh, first of all, I liked the sitting room, because when you said sitting room, I thought sitting room, uh, 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 I just was thinking high status guy, and you came in and you were low status immediately, so I knew that I, I, I could play high status, which is something that I struggle with a lot. Um, awesome. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> That's what I need. That's what I need. This podcast is just about, you know, giving me affirmations. And then uh, I felt like I, I couldn't get a want for this guy, my character. Do you work that way? Yeah, I like to. Mm -hmm. I like to. But I feel like some of the time, uh, emotional quality can lead to want. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, filling in the answers and, the, and discovering what this is uh, as the content rolls itself out. So, you and you gave me my want. You what, gifted my want. Which was? Uh, marrying your daughter. Okay. But that was well into the scene. Mm -hmm. Initially, uh, you know, you could, one could say that our, my want was to just get to know you better. Right. Um, but both they can they can line up, and then when when that re reveal occurs, mm -hmm. you find out like oh it has a depth to it, which is even better. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a. Did good we job. have do we uh, have a, do we have a game in that scene? Do you think, or, or do we need a game in a scene like that? Um, I guess there might be sub games. I don't think it was predicated entirely on game. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean... What were you going to say about game? I like game, but I don't think it's the only thing, only way to improvise. Mm -hmm. um, like when you played here, did you go, okay, I'm, I'm going to... Like, do you... When you approach something like this, because it's a longer scene, mm -hmm. how do you approach it? Uh, relationship first. Who are we to each other? I also game is a good structure. I think it's a, it's a, UCB has has figured out something which is brilliant in that they've taken a short form accessibility to improvisation and applied it in a long form structure. So like people can get on board. Like this is the thing we're going to heighten it out and we're going to move on. And that's very smart. Um, but I don't. That's not the only way you can play. And knowing that we were going to do likely a mono scene, mm -hmm. uh, I would. I'd rather approach the who are we to each other. And I, I, I feel like I improvise differently based upon who I'm playing how did where you, I'm playing. Uh, okay, so here with me, how, how did you adjust differently? I, this is your house, so I defer to you. And how does that look in terms of... Because um, I think it's more of a, almost a subconscious thing, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, 
just I think multiple choices. Like I wasn't gonna. I I, I probably knew I was not gonna come out super guns a blazing with a really strong choice. Mm-hmm. I was probably gonna figure out as we go. Because it was a mono scene, or because you're playing with me? Both. Okay. Yeah, both. And then, if, okay. I and the other thing I felt was one was, are you fucking my my daughter? Cheap. I didn't need to go there because I don't think that character would would do that, and I think I panicked a little. Oh. Okay. Because I'm like, why would this guy say that? And the okay, so that was one. But I don't, I don't. Uh to disagree with what was happening in your head. Right. <laughs> uh, my I, don't, I think it was, I mean, uh, it, the choice was made and it, it was what it was. I thought it was a good one. Mm-hmm. I think that people are powerful like that. Maybe he doesn't say it often. Like, for some reason when you said that, it made me think of, like, Lyndon Johnson used to make advisors talk to him when he was on the toilet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was partially because time is of the essence with the president, but also, like, you're going to talk to me while I'm shitting. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a power play, and I don't care if you smell my shit. You're sitting here talking to <laughs> right. me while I'm shitting. So, so they like, literally were going, in the bathroom with him? Yeah. Uh, Where'd so, you get that information? <laughs> some bathroom wall. Right. <laughs> <laughs> White House bathroom wall. Like, Lyndon B. Shit. I was thinking, my, my, my thing was, it was a story Lauren told you. <laughs> I want to tell you about Lyndon Johnson. Let me tell you about Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Drew me dog. The other thing was... That's terrible. The one Lauren Johnson, my, Lord, Lauren Michaels, is a, that's a terrible impression of him. And it does sound more like Drew me dog. Uh, um, I don't know. I, thought th- I didn't think it was a bad choice. I liked that choice. Because okay. then it made, then it made that, uh, the tension in that scene even more palpable. Mm-hmm. I think my problem was I was expecting a laugh on that. Do you ever do that when you say something? You're like, I'm going to get a laugh. I'm just going to sit back. And then, and then it yeah. doesn't come. But I, normally what I try to do is go, afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what? I, do you clap your hands together? You're like, yeah. <laughs> and then I look at the audience in disappointment like, no, uh, you thought you were going to get a... I never expect a laugh. Are you serious? How have I, you I been able to, to do that in your head? Because I'm trying to... I, I think I have a, a co- comedic acuity. Like I'm, I'm trying to like think about what's happening, a sensitivity to it. I want it to be funny, but I can't with any certainty say something. That's my least favorite thing. I feel like in radio interviews they do it a lot. They're like, "Dude, yeah, now, Frank, I got it out of and they're like, "Now, say something funny, Frank." And I'm like, "I have nothing prepared for you. Like, I, I don't say funny things. I listen and react, and I hope they're funny." Right. So like the moment that I get, I venture into saying something funny. There are times where I'm like, I'm really excited. I think this is gonna get a laugh. But I, I think I try to eliminate that. Like, how did you? How did you do that? Be- how did you do that? Because I am still less and less, but I'm still wired like that. And and I, I think it, it's it's an improvisers. A lot of improvisers are. How how did you uh, rewire yourself? Because I'm sure it wasn't that way when you started. No way. No way. Uh I trusted that I am good enough that it'll get funny if it isn't funny. Did you do that through therapy? <laughs> did you do that through... How did you get that confidence? Because at some point, audiences laughed. So I assumed that I was going to make them do it again. I hoped. But did you ever... What, what's the, that face? What is that? Because I'm not sure. I don't know if they're going to. Okay. I can't say with anything. Like I can't say, like, when I go out there and do this... They're gonna laugh. <laughs> I don't know, and every audience is different. So 
I would I think that's what makes it so wonderful. Like as much as the internet proliferates and stuff, there will no, there will nothing that will replace this because it's shared experience. Like there, it won't replace it. You can watch funny bits online all day long, but going to a theater and watching people perform, you are a part of it. It is something. It's a quality that is connected to the performer. And so audience. getting laughs was never tied to your self-esteem. Of course it was. Okay. <laughs> I evaluate that after the fact. Not so I try not to. So, so tell me how that would work then. You evaluate after the show? Yeah. Good crowd, not so good crowd. Likely to spend way more time on the not so good crowd as opposed to the good crowd. Oh man, they really hated us. Or, yeah, the good crowd. I, I learned uh, coming home from improv shows or sketch shows to tell my wife, like, how was a show? And it basically is always good. Because I first I would come home and be like, oh, uh, lament, or oh, there was this really funny bit, and Matt said this, and then I, and she's like, <laughs> so I I try not to unless it's like really something that specifically tickles me, I try not to recount anything, and I try not to evaluate it while I'm doing it. That to me is the 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 worst thing you could do for improvisation. I try I try not to I try to leave evaluation out of it. Great. We're going to get some questions Great. for you. Uh, uh, so if we could, John, turn the lights up. Great. You got one right back here. Uh, yeah, you, you, you mentioned your wife a few times. Um, when did you guys get married, like, in your career? And when did, like, how has that affected your uh, success in the business world in acting and comedy, things like that? She married me months after I got fired from Mad TV. Terrible choice. But you guys were dating before that. Oh, yeah. Because she years. had moved out there with you. Or yeah. Was yeah. We, had, we, had, we were engaged, and then we kind of extended our engagement because we moved to Los Angeles. And then we're like, where are we going to, now what, how are we going to negotiate this? But uh, we had been together like six or seven years prior to getting married. Oh, boy. Uh, so it was, she had been along for the ride from well before any sort of real success came upon me. Um, what was the second part of your question? Um, how has that sort of affected your, your trials and stuff going through the, the business as you referred to it as? Like, did it help you? Did oh. it, um, I mean, it's a juggling act, obviously, with things, but how did you make it through? Uh, she's an incredible partner, and uh, on my worst days, she's the best part about it, so uh, it, it's so invaluable. It's just invaluable. I think she also has been in this world and understands it, though she doesn't currently act and hasn't done anything like that for many years. She, uh, she has a very good understanding of it, so she gets it, and it's so helpful. How has your daughter changed? She, she, she hates the business, too. Yeah. <laughs> no. no, no, no. <laughs> how is she? She's no, no, the no. Best how thing is ever. she? So, how is, how is marriage is one thing, but how right. is having a kid impacted that? that you know the struggles of, of the business. Uh, puts it into perspective that doesn't that makes me realize that all of this isn't just for me, and it makes me focus my time in a way I had infinite time for bullshit drinking and video games in my twenties that I don't have now, and so I look at my time with my family and I evaluate what is important to me to do as a performer and leave room and wiggle room for other opportunities. Like my days are mostly free to audition. Um, and try to, you know, eke out a living as best I can and also be a good husband and father, which is sometimes difficult, but yeah, she's, she's awesome. I'm gonna throw something out, and, and, and I, um, 
I think what throws me off about you is, <laughs> and this is in a good way, and I, it may be true in Hollywood or in L.A., you're very thoughtful, you're very compassionate, because we were also talking about Matt Craig before, about his health, mm -hmm. and you have things in perspective. But if you look at you, like, there's this, like, really happy, jovial, almost like kind of a Chris Farley type energy. Do you think that I'm on to something here? That, that people don't know how to, to make you out? Sure. Yeah. But yeah, you're, yeah, you're very much correct. I think, yeah, I think I'm enigmatic, but I mean, I observed like Jordan Peele, who was on Mad TV, who's now on Key and Peele, was enigmatic in the same way because they were wanting Jordan to be like Aries Spears. And Aries is great, but he's, you know, particularly urban, particularly, you know, doing those sorts of characters. But Jordan brings so much more. He can do that, but Jordan can sing. He's a phenomenal writer. He's great at characters. He can basically do anything, but he happens to be an African-American man. But he doesn't just want to be an African-American man. So his first couple of years at MAD, he was painfully underused because they didn't know where to fit him in. And so... All right, I got this idea. And I hope... I, I, okay. Do you think... And I'm not saying this because I struggle with weight. If you were 50, 40 pounds lighter, that they would look at you differently? I would still be... I would still be... Fat. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know. Maybe? I'm definitely, I'm not, when you go to LA, you're like, definitely not handsome enough for those dudes. Uh -huh. So like, no, I am who I am. Right. Like, I'm, I'm short, I'm boxy, these shoulders are these yeah, shoulders. Yeah, right. So like, I'm, I'm going to be what I am, which is not camera friendly. <laughs> No, I think... I Do you, are you self-conscious about your looks? I don't like watching... My, I like to watch myself technically to improve performance. I don't like to watch myself like, here comes another great Frank bit. <laughs> like, I can't just like... Doo -doo -doo -doo, but I've learned to watch myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't, no, I mean, I think I have a relative insecurity that everybody possesses about the way you look and the way... Like, that's what I sound like? That's what I look like? Yeah. <laughs> All right, another question. Uh, right here? Um, you said your writing really improved, um, so maybe you would write your own screenplay and get the role you really want. And that's actually my second question. Yeah. What's the role you really would like to play? Good question. Uh, I have written, Matt Craig and I have collaborated multiple times with uh, sitcom pilots and sketch ideas and pilots. Uh, that have gotten close in various incarnations but have never come to fruition and gone, gone to air. Uh, so we do write, and I think that that is one really good way for anybody that's aspiring, is no one's going to hand you the role, create it for yourself. Uh, we have an, you have an HD camera in your pocket, you know? So uh, don't wait for somebody else to give you permission. That's the thing that bothers me a lot about the business. And then as far as like a role that I would like to play, I think anything I, I like doing anything but I think I would like to do something that is funny but I uh, to me the, the the test is what John Candy does for me in planes trains and automobiles which is he is unbelievably hilarious and incredibly vulnerable and moving and it's just a movie that every time Thanksgiving rolls around you're like I want to watch it again so 
Uh, something like that. So something that will live in eternity as a fantastic film. <laughs> How do you? Why would, I, why would I limit myself? I want to win an Academy Award. You know, like why not? Somebody else is going to tell me no fucking way. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll aim high. How do you do vulnerability? How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it? Oh. Um, I don't know. Because in that scene that we did, a lot of vulnerability. And I was thinking for my character, I would like to have shown some vulnerability, you know? But you, did you what, what's so funny about that? What's so funny? I just love, I love it. It's so fun. Are this you is being, so fun. Uh, <laughs> well, it's hard for you. Because uh, high status people are naturally show less vulnerability. Okay. Like it's great. I was gifted with the idea of being low status, and therefore the emotional journey can be greater for me. So, because low, because an emotionally, an outright emotionally person is going to inherently have less status as opposed to the stoic. So, are you saying just accept that role, and that that role will not have that serving a function, and just to accept it? Yeah, but I, I try to ground anything I do, mm -hmm. but some of the time it just worked out in that thing that my character may have more vulnerability, was deferring to you in the scene. It was your room, it was your home, and you had the power, so there could be vulnerability. But I feel like I try to bring that to it. I feel like something that bothers me a little bit about improvisation and something that has been rewarded sometimes is it's a little bit detached. Mm -hmm. The like guy who's kind of commenting on the scene. Yeah. And it gets a laugh, but right. then it's like, ah, I would rather see somebody believe it. Mm -hmm. Great. We got another question. With, there. Uh, well, uh, I was wondering how, how many hours a week do you spend on like, studying your craft, and then how many hours a week do you go and pursue jobs? You know, like I'll go audition and stuff. Like, you just said you create your own stuff. So. It depends on what we're doing. Like, uh, it's, it depends on how many times my agent calls me and tells me to show up someplace. So some weeks, you know, some days it's three, four times in a day. Sometimes it's two or three weeks between auditions. So it depends. Time of year, that sort of stuff. Uh, and then working on something specifically. I try to improvise at least two or three times a week because uh, I will go nuts if I don't. And uh, and depends on what I'm working. If Matt and I are writing, we generally give ourselves very short windows of time to complete stuff, and then we mess with it over time. But we're like, we're going to we're going to finish this thing in a certain amount of time. Do you guys sit down at the typewriter, or do you improvise it? Both. Okay. We'll sit with a computer screen. When we write our sketch show, we just improvise, and then that show was transcribed and became written. But when we write like. Uh, sitcom and stuff like that we sit at a terminal or sit there and talk will you do stuff when you you know when you, your sketch show but before when it's improvised and look and go you know what that was an imp that worked in improv but it won't work in sketch we still try it out okay because you know, never know with certainty you present something as an improvisation that gets a great response mm -hmm. and then you present something as a sketch and it doesn't mm -hmm. but that's what I love about writing and I learned that style through Second City but that's how we write everything we we'll just say, put it up, just put it up. And, and it also, when there's only two of you, it, it, it alleviates the responsibility of learning a bunch of lines before you know the scene works. So we understand the beats. We may know very little, we may know a lot. We know the game of the scene or the comic action, improvise it as a sketch, and then evaluate it, have the director talk about what worked. And I read something too that you will, you will improvise something that you're doing for your, for your sketch show, and then, then you'll figure out after you put it up as an improv, 
what that scene was about. Yes. We, we did our last sketch show was called American in Peril, and it had like a really strong theme about uh, America, Americans, America's worst enemy is ourselves. And so we wanted to inform every scene with something about that, like what imperils America. And so uh, we were evaluating post putting the material up, like what does this scene say? It was very important to us because we were writing, we were specifically writing a piece of satire. So we really thought about that and had long conversations and sometimes didn't agree. And how did you work out your differences? We talk about it. We Matt and I have an incredible relationship. Well, you've known him. You were at Second City with him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But you're not passive. Like, I'm passive aggressive. <laughs> you know? I quit the group before having an, an argument. Oh, uh, no. Uh, no. No. I'm probably more stubborn than Matt. I probably... He yields more than I do. Um, Are you passionate? You sell your idea? Like yeah. to Matt? Like... Don't you understand yeah. this? Matt is also, if you don't know Matt, he's like six foot four. So I just, I just stand over him. Uh, no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think we, we, we just, we jive so well that I think all we do is make each other's ideas better. Like there have been, been a couple things where I'm like, there's a thing, if you go, if you look up Masturbating Wolfman online uh, for Frank and Matt, it's a bit that Matt loves. It was like a bit that we used to do in his house when we were writing, and it's this little wolfman that he makes go, ah, a foot of wolfman. And, uh, it's like this little, like, rubber thing. And I was like, this is so dumb. And he wanted to do it in our show. And I was like, we can't. It's so dumb. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't do anything. And then we, sh we shot a sketch of it. And we, I learned to love it. And I, I actually very much, uh, the sketch is actually pretty good. Uh, another question. Um, you talked about a little bit about some of the ups and downs in the business that you've experienced. Now that a lot of that stuff is in your rearview mirror, has performing changed for you, your, your experience of it, your, your relationship with it? Yeah, I think so. I'm so thankful. Like, I was, I probably came, I was, had the for, good fortune of going from the Second City Touring Company directly to a stage. I never had to quit. I was offered a position. I went. I never had to quit the Second City. I was offered a show, a television show, so I got to leave. And so then you, I, I don't think I ever, I have a good perspective, but I, I didn't have uh, career adversity or much of it. So I think it's developed like, now I'm like, I will do anything. I don't care how bad that show is, gladly. So now if you watch, television you'll see me as a pile of mashed potatoes in an orbit gum commercial like, you, know, you want to be mashed potatoes like you're goddamn right i want to be mashed potatoes. so like you you have to say yes to everything and then hopefully apply some integrity to the work that you do. did you turn stuff down yeah i didn't audition for commercials for a while i was i had very i had good success commercially but i didn't need to and i just didn't want to drive all over town so i was like i'm not gonna do that and then I was like, I'd like insurance and money. <laughs> so I'll audition for commercials again. I'll do anything. What do you need? <laughs> well, well, you did our show, and that, you know. Oh, my pleasure. Thank it you. It was so great. Let's give a, a hand. And there you have it, another episode of Improv Nerd, actually episode 52, and I want to thank our guest today, Frank Cayetti. Oh, God, that was so much fun to do with Frank, and he was so honest and vulnerable, especially about that uh, SNL stuff. I love that kind of stuff. That, that's why I'm doing this podcast. 
Also, I want to thank our opening act here in Chicago, Strangers. So check them out here in Chicago. And I know they're doing a lot of fests around the country. Uh, as always, our home base here in Chicago, the good people here at Stage 773, and my producer, Ben Caprero. It sounds so good. It wouldn't sound so good if, it, if we didn't have Ben involved. And if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably figured out that we are on feralaudio.com. So check out the other great podcasts like Harmontown, Conversations with Matt Dwyer, Brain Warp, The Baby Eater on feralaudio.com. And if you need more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my improv nerd blog and uh, my award-winning classes, The Art of Slow Comedy, go to jimmycorain.com. And please, please, please like our improv nerd Facebook fan page. It really helps with my low self-esteem. Thanks so much, you guys, for listening. I really appreciate it. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Oh, yeah. Hello. I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. (laughs) Suicide Buddies. (laughs) That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century, Mm -hmm. and he, uh, one of the reasons... It's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's Like, I mean, if yeah. you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> 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 That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich, I don't know what you want from me. And uh, my, and my a, girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my <laughs> <laughs>